0: Welcome to the Bags and Boards show. Oh,
1: another week. We're going to
0: be chatting about some expensive paper today. Jeff, how are you feeling?
1: I'm ready, man. It's, it's a good day. Yesterday was a little hectic, bro. You're feeling good, though. I'm feeling really good. i have been shipping. I've been shipping. I actually took some melatonin last night, get some yeah. extra rest. Ooh, I like that, my man. Mm-hmm. I
0: saw some amazing comic books this week. Some of the best comic books I've seen at one time in probably over a year. And it was fantastic. Comic fam, we're trying expensive paper. We're talking about comic books. You're in for a fun one today. Hit the like. Slap the subscribe button. Let's give a big congratulations to Oliver Ortiz. He won the giveaway from last week. We will be doing a giveaway in this show, so make sure to comment on the YouTubes. Also, if YouTube isn't the route to go for you, we are also available on SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and iTunes for your listening pleasure. And I want to talk about these books I saw, Jeff. So, I go to a handful of LCSs in Washington. I make my rounds. I try to do it pretty often. I go to get my haircut down in Bellevue sometimes, and there's a shop right out by where I get a haircut. So I go to that place, you know, like once every two months. I make my half price books trips every other week. So there's a comic store right in Everett that I go to. There's a comic store in Linwood that I go to. Sometimes I'll hit another castle, one of those uh, vintage video game places. And there's a comic store right next to it. So I have these spots that I go and I'll see members of the comic fam sometimes, which is always cool. You know who you are, shout out. And one of them was there, very excited to chat. You know, he loves the show. And he's like, oh, I'm gonna bring some comics in really soon. I was like, all right, cool. He hits me up on Instagram. Yo, 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 we're going to be bringing some comics in. I'm hoping you can be at the shop. And I try to be at the shop when I can. So when I saw that there was separate members driving from Portland to go visit MilGeek to meet Russ, I was like, man, if I can make it to the shop this weekend, this would be the time to go because they're driving hours. How long does it take to get from Portland to Mill Creek? Three hours. So I are driving three hours. And it was like, we were the destination. So like, I'm going to try to be there. I can't always make it, but I'll do what I can. And I drive up there, and I happen to pick the best day because this was another day that a separate member was going to bring those comics in to show us. And do you see some of these books that I got to hold?
1: I saw your posts on IG, man. I couldn't believe it. I, You know, you, you post stuff all the time. I'm looking at Follow me at
0: Comic Time 101.
1: That's right. And uh, I'm looking at these books. You know, any you're taking a picture of books, you're going to take a second and look at the books, right? Right. And I'm looking. I was like, is that right? And it was, I don't know, you had three to four books that were nine nines
0: dude i didn't even post all of them because i'm kind of saving the pictures but yeah he has a suitcase with him you know it's good when the person brings in a suitcase right they're not just hand- bringing books that they just threw on their front seat of their car and russ just looks at me he's like yo you need to take this in the back and just look at these look at these books and i'm like oh really something special and dude People show me comics all the time. I see some awesome books. I've also seen a lot of books and have owned a lot of books in my time. So it takes a little bit to get me really hyped, right? Typically, it comes with a story that gets me even more hyped. You know, how'd you got this comic? That's fascinating, you know? So I go into the back. First book I pull out of the suitcase, G.I. Joe, number one, newsstand, 9.9. Astounding. I couldn't believe what I was looking at. It said it. The numbers were real. This wasn't fake. How does this member own this book? And it's a newsstand. So like I was, I was going like triple takes. Like I couldn't compute in my mind what I was looking at. And then I pulled the next book out. New Mutants 98, 9.9, which is not as cool as the G.I. Joe, but still really damn
1: cool. And these are CGC
0: 9.9s. Oh, yes, they are CGC 9.9s. Good clarification. And then on underneath that book, uh, I'm going, let's go through what these are, right? So yeah. G.I. Joe 1, it is what it is, right? You know, you have G.I. Joe in comics, uh, major Mattel toy line, and a universe that's emerging right now. So this member picked this up. Actually, I'll, I'll, I'll save that at the end of how he acquired these books, right? The next book is New Mutants 98, first appearance of Deadpool. Um, then the next book was a New Mutants 87, 9.9 signed by Todd McFarlane, first appearance of Cable. I, I'm like freaking out here, Russ, what is this in your shop right now? And he's, he's also nerding out as well. It's like, I know I experienced this by myself. I should have waited for you. Cause he's just tripping as well. And then of course, just to like top it again, giant size X-Men 9.8 is just sitting in there as well. White pages, you know, and that book's going for between 45 and $60,000, depending on the auction site, what's up. And, It's crazy to see all of these books in one spot, but I'll save the best for last. And I would love to know from the community and Jeff, which of these books I just named you would be most excited to own, not because of price, just because of scarcity, because this is a different threshold of collectible we're talking about. The last book, Alpha Flight number one, 9.9. Winner. Winner. Is it the Alpha Flight? Hands down. Hands down. (laughs) down. Alpha Flight gets... The vote, but I, okay. But for real though, which of all these books would you be the most like proud to show beyond what the values are? Because really when you're talking about 9.9s, we're talking about that GI Joe being worth what like a giant size one at 9.8 is worth. That GI Joe is an over $40,000 book for sure.
1: Yeah. I mean, okay. First off, that's unbelievable to even have one 99 to have multiple nine nines and to be of key issues and one signed Right, you said it was a nine nine sign. Yeah, I mean, which is
0: also like how, how, how did Todd not mess that up at all? You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Anyways, if I had to pick one, like instinctually, I want to say just being the purest that I am, giant size. Oh X-Men, my gosh! One, of course, eight, you eight. would wait, wait, wait. say a giant yes, size, yes. right? But uh, to have a nine nine, you means ninety eight. Oh really? See, the
0: GI Joe is what excited me the most because it was a newsstand, and it's like. Man, to a, a G.I. Joe collector, and I'm not even a G.I. Joe collector, but, like, I know, like, this means something. Like, if it's, like, equivalent to, like, a Transformers 1, or, you know, a Thundercats 1, like, that 80s nostalgia, it doesn't get better than G.I. Joe to me.
1: Mm. I like, you know, that's a Yo-Jo moment right there with the 9-9. Yeah. Nine, nine. I get it. New stand, great. Ultimately, like, if we're not talking about dollars— you know, it's it's giant size one, nine, eight for me. White pages, absolutely. Square bound book, nine, eight white. I mean, give First me a First appearance
0: of the new team, second full Wolverine. I mean, it's it's amazing books. And the fact that they even exist all together. But here's the kicker. That giant size, guess the price tag that was on the
1: back of that book because he kept it on there. Oh, God. And he
0: did not buy it recently. He's owned these books, all of these books for quite some time.
1: Oh, man. So do you, it's hard to know because I don't know what year he bought it.
0: Just give it it was over three years ago.
1: Oh, over three years ago. Over three years well, ago. I sold a freaking nine four nine six, and I know I got not a lot of money. So I'm guessing nine eight had to be like nine K. Dude,
0: the price tag that was on there was under six thousand dollars on the back of the book.
1: No way. So he
0: had it for a while. And yeah, we're talking that would have had to have been over five, six years ago, for sure. But The other books, the nine nines, when I asked him, like, how did you acquire these books? What he told me was I bought them at a time that people didn't care as much about 9.9s. They weren't specking on that level of grading at at that point. And man, did he make out pretty damn good because he's now looking at an absurd amount of gains on all of these books. And it was a beauty to see. And I'll tell you, seeing so many nine nines back to back, there's a difference. There's an actual difference. I'm telling you, like nine eights, we can, you know, argue all day. Is this one scuffed enough? Is this one have a, a, a nick in the in the corner? Is this from the printer? Is this a spine tick? This one shouldn't be a nine eight. What makes this a nine eight? Should it be a nine nine? I was looking at books that were so perfect that there was no confusion. You couldn't find a problem. You couldn't even reasonably argue. That there could be a problem. I'm talking about the printing was perfection. The squares were crisp. The blacks were black as they can be. But hot damn, when you're looking at some fine, pristine comic books and get chilling with your homies. It's a damn good feeling. Nine nines, my man.
1: Yeah, even if though it's not your book to just see what that looks like in person. Because I've seen nine nines. You know, I've seen a 10. I passed on a 10. Secret Wars 8 black costume for a hundred dollars. Why would you do that? Because I was stupid. (laughs) I was too busy looking for old books. Oh my gosh. You know what that sounds like?
0: Yes. It sounds like one of the themes of our show today. We're going to be talking about buyer's
1: regret today. That's a huge right. Actually, that's a really big one, man, for me. I look back on that a lot, a lot. This guy didn't know where to price it, but that at the time it was different. This was many, many years ago. Okay, but so still many, many years later, still hurts, but yes. Um, but to see what it looks like, 9-9, nine, nine, that many in your hand in one location, that's insane, man. And there was a time where it didn't trade to that value as they do now. So that, that just is what it is. So that guy definitely made some smart moves.
0: So, Comic Fam, hit that like, hit the subscribe. We're going to be chatting a giveaway here pretty soon. We have comics to show, comics we brought. We have some fun eBay sections in this video. We found some really cool listings that I want to showcase that have sold. We're going to have some fun with that one today. As mentioned, we're going to be talking about Buyer's Regret, you know, those times. Well, actually, we're going to talk about a couple different versions of Buyer's Regret because we've decided there's two different versions of it that we didn't think about prior to bringing this theme to the mic last time we were chatting about it. And we encourage the comic fam to comment down below because we do source comments For future shows, and you may be featured, we're also going to be doing something that I think is going to provide some
1: value to the community, teaching them how to move some comics. Yeah, guys, man, I I think that's going to be one really important bit to talk about here. I mean, everyone can get books, but then when the time comes to sell them, like, how do you do that?
0: Dude, we get asked all the time, don't we? Like, how often do you get asked your thoughts on a particular collectible? Like, how how should you move this versus how should I move what I have, the collection?
1: It's different for everybody. It's going to depend on the type of person you are, what the books are, um, the amount of time you want to spend it. I mean, it's just going to go on and on. So we're definitely going to have some killer tips for you on what you need to do. But what we
0: got to get into first is some straight up Tom DeLonge types of shenanigans happening in the world right now. We have seen literal footage, 182 different clips in the last couple of weeks. Don't hold me to that number of straight up UFO types of sightings. And it's getting really eerie. Like, I, I don't know, man. Have you seen this? It is incredible.
1: Yeah, it's interesting to seeing the increase of um, sightings. And communication, we're starting to hear from things being leaked through the Pentagon and the government and releases of stuff. So it's And they're, like, confirming it as well. Yeah. I mean, all the video footage always still seems kind of blurry or some whatever nature. But you're still looking at it. And and they're not even using the term UFO anymore. Like, they've changed it from unidentified flying objects now to unexplained objects or something like that in the air. They changed it. They're trying to almost... Make it a little cooler or just different? I I don't know. I don't understand, like, why the terminology is being twisted a hair. But I don't know if I ever told you, man. I do have a UFO story. You
0: have a UFO story?
1: Yeah, I do. Comic Um, fam,
0: hit that like button. Where are you getting this type of comic book themed content?
1: Anywhere! (laughs) Yeah, I don't think I ever told you this, man. Alright, so this was, I think it was October 2015
0: Okay, October 2015, setting the stage And Jeff has a UFO story
1: Yeah, it was October 2015 in New York Alright, and I remember being out and about during the day And there were five UFOs Alright, literally five UFOs I came across
0: You came across five, five. different,
1: wow No, I mean, they, were, they looked identical they looked identical. Yeah. Okay. And I remember just looking at him and I was like, oh my God, is this for real? And as I'm staring at him, you know, I just, I don't really think much of it. Okay. And oh, yeah. I was like, okay, this is kind of cool, but like, it's weird that I find these here. Okay. And time passes. All right. And a year goes by now. All right. I, I told a few people here and there what I saw. Did they think you were crazy? Uh, Well, they kind of did, and I'll explain why. So a year later, it is now October in New York, 2016, all right? And I see these five UFOs again, all right? One year later. In New York? In New York. Oh, wow. And I'm talking to this gentleman about him, okay? And it's a weird conversation because he remembers them from the year prior, too. He saw them in 2015 as well. And a year later, we're here at the exact same place. And I end up leaving this location and I leave with these UFOs. All right. I think I know what you're talking about now. Yeah, I think you do know too. And I happen to have evidence. You have evidence okay. and
0: you brought it today to show off to the community.
1: This is the evidence.
0: Oh my gosh, he's holding an ultimate fallout. Number four, first appearance of Miles Morales at 9.8, mind you. But yes, ultimate fallout. UF, I get it.
1: Yeah, so let me explain this story a little bit, Maybe. all right? 2015, I agreed to, with this guy. See these ultimate fallout fours. This book was not that <laughs> expensive at the time, <laughs> okay? They were so like- stiff. stupid, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> they were like 50 bucks or something each. Yeah. 40, fifty bucks, they were cheap. But I was like, all right, I'll spec on this, all right? And I made this deal with this guy and I had him hold it aside for me. And then I went back to buy them, and he couldn't find them, all right? I was like, where are these books, man? And I kind of stayed in contact with him. He said he had them somewhere, and he'll bring them to me or get them to me at some point. A year goes by. I see this dealer again at this convention in New York. This is NYCC at the time, all right? And he happens to have them, finally. And he kept them at the same price. They were like 50 bucks a piece. I bought them later in 2016. I just finally got these graded last year. And one came back 9-8, and the other four UFOs came back. Is that what we're going to call this now? <laughs> nine UFOs. <laughs> what did uh, the other ones come back as? Uh One, nine, six, and three, nine, fours. Okay. Oh, okay, okay, okay. But I've held on to them since, and I still kept this one for my personal, sold the others. But that is my UFO story. Well, I'm, I'm holding it.
0: the evidence of Jeff's experience with something from another world. And Ultimate Fallout 4, first appearance of Miles Morales, Spider-Man, um, polybagged removed. And, yes, this is a major major comic book, aside from being worth a lot of money. I think that this right here has transcended what modern books can be in the marketplace and has become a blue chip comic book. um This book, in just the standard version, has exceeded three thousand dollars for a nine point eight, which is amazing to think about considering where these prices were last year. The Dejevic variant at a 9.8 has exceeded $20,000. What can you get for $20,000 considering that this book came out in 2011, almost 2012. I mean, it came out in October.
1: I mean, there's a lot of Bronze Age books and Silver Age keys I, I would probably put my money on, but again, you can't, you can't, um, not appreciate the importance of this character for this generation i mean it just is what it is and i'm okay with that i can accept that i can accept that every generation or time frame of books has its epic keys and that's okay i don't think one should be poo poo just because it's modern or copper or bronze or whatever the snob attitude you want to disregard real quick though by the way the other term was uaf Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon Is what they're calling or UA, I guess Phenomenon would be P, UAP Or whatever the heck They, they want to call it. But I think that's what The new term is That's strange So this book It deserves what it's getting man I think it does If I had 20k though I probably wouldn't be In Jevic I would probably put it in Maybe a Marvel Spotlight 5 Dude <laughs>
0: You just keep bringing up Ghost Rider every
1: week, dude. This guy's got Ghost Rider on the mind. I'm excited to see him on screen, man. (laughs) You just want it so bad. You want to see those chains. Well, after that, like, after that uh, version on S.H.I.E.L.D., I thought they did a really good job. I know you like Nick Fury, and that's a forever show movie for you. uh, Uh, You mean mean Nick Cage? Or Nick Cage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nick Fury. He said Nick Fury. But I also love Nick Fury. Yeah, right. Love Nick Fury. Hashtag love Nick Fury.
0: What I think they should do is they should bring back Nick Cage's Ghost Rider, pretend the other movies didn't happen, and just integrate them into the MCU. You think we
1: need a new Ghost Rider? Absolutely. We need something other than Nicolas Cage. Come on, man, dude. I mean, like, no. So every podcast, we're bringing some stuff that we acquire, that we have. Some
0: are part of the PC. Some are things that we're specking on and investing in. And you brought Ultimate Fallout 4 to the table today. So tell me, what is the destination for this book? Is this part of your PC? What's going on with it?
1: Yeah, I brought this because of a kind of a f- fun story for me, but um, I did just pick up another book. You know, I'm a golden age guru guy, so I did pick up a golden age book as well. I'll, I'll plug that here in a second. This is going to be a keeper. I mean, why not? I feel like I said, it's an it's an epic book for this generation, and I'm okay with having that um, and understanding that and keeping that, and I, and I feel good owning it because I think it belongs in in a personal collection. So at 9.8... You know, I sold the 9.6, the 9.4, so it just justifies me getting to keep this book.
0: Well, I have a book, actually a few books, that I'm keeping in my personal collection that I wanted to share, and I have a spec book here that I'm excited to showcase to the community. Um, but I have three comics that I need you to take a look at, because this artist, Johnny Jardins, over on Instagram, has flown into my radar, unexpectedly- and has become one of my favorite comic artists, uh, variant cover artists. I haven't seen much of his interior stuff just yet because I was recently introduced to his work, and I've been so impressed by what this gentleman does. So first off, you got to follow him on Instagram. You got to see what he's doing, and he actually hooked me up with three different comic books as a gift, and I'm going to be cherishing them because I wanted each one of these when they were showcased, but they sold out so damn quick. First off, this is an artist that to me is akin to a Bill Sienkiewicz in that the textures, his, the color choices, like the palettes that he utilizes, the different ways he paints and utilizes the medium is so different than one another that although If you are a fan of his work, you'll be able to tell that it's him, just like you can tell a Bill S. drawing from another Bill S. drawing. But I think to the standard eye, you may get confused because the different ways that he draws and creates, it's so unique from one another that you may actually think you're dealing with a completely different artist. And I'm sitting here with three books. Take a look at this one here. Actually, the first one we're going to showcase to the community is one that I know they have seen online going around. We have Department of Truth a variant and he did me the honor of doing an original sketch on it and take a look at this unique cover. When was the last time you've seen a cover that was even slightly similar to this? Like, can you think of any really off the cuff? Cause I couldn't when I saw
1: it. No, no, not really. I can't really think of this looks very more like, um, ad wise or commercial magazine the way it is. Um, just cause it just feels more graphic design feel to it and it's, it's nice it's very nice it's different than the other piece you just showed me um just technique wise
0: yeah I'm, I'm pulling this one out because i wasn't actually familiar with this book cold dead war written by george c romero the son of george r romero which is pretty cool by the way i didn't know he had a, another run going but this cover tells me one thing This guy can do an amazing Venom, which he has, and I've seen it on his Instagram, but someone's got to bring him on over to Marvel. We'll see if I can make that happen. Um, But also this last one that I have to show off is the TMNT Last Ronin. Take a look at this. You have the last Ronin being surrounded by the spirit of his brothers, and I just can imagine how thick this canvas must be with paint. Like, look at those textures. You can almost like, I feel like if you were to touch the cover, although it's going to be glossy and flat, your mind will play a trick on you to a degree, making you think that it's got like, you know, some, some layers to it because there's so much depth. He does such great work with the shadows. He can really like hone in on lighting. Like I haven't seen artists do in quite a long time. I haven't had an artist stop me in my tracks the way that Johnny has
1: since Peach Momoko. So it looks like he works in oil, and it just feels like it's very interesting because it's it feels very like you mentioned textured. It feels thick. It feels layered, and um, I can just see it. It could be very easy to get overworked and almost come off muddy, but you don't get that. You still have the details. You have like you said the the nice lighting, the strong. Um, character design and that zombie one over here i mean that just looks real because it feels fleshy
0: it does man his ability to draw the grotesque is definitely showcased in this one in particular which is like oh we got to see him do some zombie stuff you know we got to see him do some just like almost ben templesmith-esque type of horror comic book covers so johnny keep up the good work thank you for the gifts i'm excited to do stuff with you man you are a talent and the comic fam is lucky to have you now you mentioned some gold that you acquired tell me about this
1: yeah i so i was gonna bring a different book but i i actually committed to a book on instagram just last night it just popped up i was like oh it was a key horror book for that time frame all right it was mr mystery number 13 i wish it was mr mystery number 12 which is like that poking eye cover, absolute classic. All right, and I regret ever selling any of those. And we can talk about that later. But this is cool because it's this hand shoving this dude's face underwater. Underwater, right, yeah. like drowning or him? some kind of red fluid. Yeah. I don't know if it's into a pot. I'm going to cook him and eat him. I have no idea because the hand, if you look at it, the claws are extra long, really broken. So you're just like, this is not a normal human hand. And it's just this classic cover to me in that, in that short run done by Bernard Bailey. And I was just lucky to get it Five O with off-white to white paper. It's not easy. That's that's pretty solid paper for books like that from that publisher specifically and including Harvey Harvey's another publisher. We're going to talk about later. So I got it for a really fair price. It's 5 It's graded. Um, and I wish I had it here, but you guys can see this picture. I mean, look at this book And and, and don't forget. I mean, like again, we'll show you number 12 as well if you haven't already popped up, but. Look at these things, man. This is classic pre-code horror covers.
0: What is the uh, market currently for books like that? Because it was growing strong back in 2019 when we were seeing a lot of these fly off the shelves at C2E2 in New York City. It's only gotten more aggressive for individuals hunting these types of books. What's the market like now?
1: It's still strong, and I think it's gotten stronger. I think it took a little bit of a lull. I believe in 18, 19... Horror and even maybe beginning of 20 pre-COVID, it was just unbelievable how ridiculous horror became like horror across the the table, everything. And then I think it got to the point where more horror became people started to realize what is select horror, like what is really good, not just the entire genre, just like anything else. Right. Not every horror book is great or uh, superhero books. Great. Not every Western is great. Not every sci fi. But people just jumped into horror, period. And I think that group of people started to realize what is truly select. And you're starting to see these. There was a little bit of a pullback, I believe, for a short bit. But it's starting to heat up again the last four or five months. And people who kind of took a seat back a little bit for that short time frame missed out on some opportunities on some really key books because they came to market, and I think they undersold. So for this example of this book, I haven't seen one sell in a while publicly. I just picked it up for around seventeen fifty, so one thousand seven hundred fifty bucks. I think its value is probably closer. If I wanted to flip it, I could probably flip it for like
0: thirty two hundred. Oh wow! So you got a good deal on it.
1: Yeah, I did get a good deal on it, and I'm happy to get it. And um, but that's what I'm saying. When you really find out in a genre what is special, not just that another piece in it, um it'll take your collecting to another level because you'll have a little bit more knowledge. Knowledge gives you the experience and experience gives you that knowledge. So they almost go hand in hand and you can learn from each other. So I think a lot of people are getting smarter with what they're picking up now.
0: I love it. I love it, man. Congrats on the book. I'm excited to see it in person. And I want to know from the community in the comment section, what do you think about pre code horror? Is this a a category, a, a genre that interests you? Because I feel like a lot of individuals who start to get tempted to get into the golden age, it's one of the first ones that they're like, can I afford that? What low grade EC can I get? And I traditionally recommend getting into like golden age war. There's a lot of affordable, um, like, you know, two fisted Tales, for example. Um, that was one of the early golden age, horror, uh, golden age comics that I was able to secure at a reasonable cost and kind of got my feet wet a little bit, you know? Um, but quickly that transitions to looking for crime and trying to be able to afford superhero stuff. Horror, yes, it gets pricey, but you can go pretty low grade. And really, you're looking for that cover, man. You know, as long as that cover is intact, you have something really special that you can be proud of without spending a ton of money on it. Granted, some of these books do get pretty damn pricey.
1: Absolutely. I mean, a lot of what you said is absolutely uh, accurate. When you think about I would say 98 to 99 percent of anything from about in the atomic age, so let's say about 47 to 55, you can buy in low grade for extremely reasonable, except for like I said, that one percent of the select. I mean, there's really a great transition point for people to want to go from silver age hero stuff and go back a little bit and check out your crime, check out your horror, check out your sci-fi, check out your good girl art. Okay, superhero stuff can still be kind of pricey there, but again, it was towards the tail end when superheroes were dying down. So again, if you ever want to transition a little bit into Golden Age, get into that atomic portion, about 47 to 55, and I don't think you'll be disappointed because there's a lot of great books out there.
0: Well, I have a book here in front of me that I'm crossing my fingers and my toes that I won't be disappointed that I bought because I talked about it last time you were here that I was experiencing some FOMO because that was you know the, the last podcast uh, theme of the video. And recent FOMO was my opportunity to secure a first appearance of Loki in Journey Into Mystery 85. And about a week and a half went by and I was in the car driving home and I said to myself, is the store that I saw that book open still, checked my phone safely when I was parked, decided I'm going to go and get it. So I secured a Journey 85 2.0 first appearance of Loki because the show is about to hit, and this book, I just still feel like, regardless of what the show does, is still undervalued and underappreciated. Early appearance of Thor. First appearance of his brother Loki. This book in low grade for how long went for under a grand? Like you could have secured this book for hundreds of dollars in really low grade. And it started blowing up a bit. But the fact that I was able to secure this book at a 2.0 for under $3,000, considering what blue chip keys are going for right now, I can't help but throw the money down and hope for the best.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're putting it down on a pretty solid bet. I think it's going to be a great show. Probably the best one, I think, yet that Disney Plus is putting out. Oh, really?
0: I think it's going to be better than the first two, and I think that's a high bar, but I think it has the potential. It's weird enough.
1: Yeah, depending where they go um, and what they want to talk about, but for the most part, I'm pretty sure and pretty confident this is going to be probably the, the best of the three. You know, I think there's a lot of excitement to see Owen Wilson on screen as well, and obviously everyone loves Loki.
0: Oh, man, can you imagine if we see Kang? How cool would that be, man? I just want to see Kang so bad.
1: Yeah, I can see a lot of spoilers coming out of this or just, you know, potential plugs for characters. This is a gorgeous tool, by the way.
0: It's, I think that's why I couldn't stop thinking about it. You know, I mean, for the cover being as clean as it is, I mean, traditionally 2 O's, you're dealing with some problems. And here's the thing, man. This wasn't the only copy that I acquired since the last time I chatted with you on the mic. I purchased a 3.5 off eBay. I won an auction. I told myself if I was willing to pay what I paid for this book, if a 3.5 gets between a certain you know, range, I gotta get it. I'm gonna regret it. So I won a 3.5 for $3,500. Tax on eBay is legit killing me, man. It is so frustrating now that you have to pay taxes the way you do on items that have already been taxed multiple times in their history. Is what it is. It's not what this, co- what this podcast is about. But essentially, you pay 3500 and you're now paying close to 4000 with the taxes and shipping and everything else, which also has gone up, is what it is. I get the book. The book is no longer here. I sent the book back. I had to return it because the book had a shattered corner on the slab. And here's the thing. The book was packaged well. There was no signs that this book was damaged because of shipping, and you can tell, man. You can tell when a book was damaged because of shipping because the box gets messed up. And the fact that this book was, it was wrapped in plastic. It was wrapped in more than one bag. This I was getting deja vu again. Deja vu. Think about brother voodoo again, but like I like deja vu. I know better, deja vu, right? We just keep that going. But no, I was getting deja vu for my Wolverine one newsstand that. Like this person legit probably took a picture of it, put it on auction and was hoping that, hey, whatever it sells for, I'll deal with the ramifications later. Maybe they'll just be happy to ship it back to CGC and they'll take the risk. But I really don't believe that this book was cracked on its way to me. And I looked at the you know, the auction that I bought it from again. And sure enough, there's no pictures of the sides of the book. And I'm like, am I going to have to just ask every seller to take pictures of every portion of the book before I throw money down? And what do you do when it's an auction? You know, you don't have that much time to spend. Like, it's just, it's part of the frustrations with buying on eBay. And we're going to get to some ways to sell here in a little bit, some alternatives to eBay. You got to appease the collector's comic family. You got to keep them happy. And you got to take care of your comic books. Let's talk about your commentary on our videos We're talking about community comments. Jeff, this gentleman wanted to comment, and he did, about our pedigree conversation two weeks ago, talking about the Promise Collection. A lot of people were digging that clip, and they were really digging the pedigree talk. I think we have some more commentary that we're going to have to make about this subcategory of collectible.
1: So freaking excited that you just said that because i gotta tell you there's so many great pedigrees to discuss
0: well here answer this question for Ganjabar medium he says do these special slabs he's talking about the new tuxedo label well is it even considered a tuxedo anymore Uh, anymore. it was a joke because it was all black but now it's just a pedigree label because it looks dope in that gold do they have the original creator's name on them real cool history tied to these books that's a good question you know is it just a black label how do you know it's from the pedigree
1: well, this, okay, that's a tough one, but a lot of pedigrees have special markings on them.
0: Like the comic books themselves.
1: Yeah, like some initials, um, a name, special codes, things on the interior. Otherwise, if they don't, it's generally a collection that was all founded once and then kept all altogether and submitted. And that's how it got to be considered that pedigree. If there's no markings, there's not going to be new additions to this pedigree. You know, some pedigrees had books that used to be part of it, but they were never encapsulated and kind of probably almost got lost with time and just never became part of that pedigree or you just, they're just gone to the history of it. Some of them have a list of what was in it at some point, but again, if you don't have the markings, you can't quite authenticate it. But there are a lot of great ones that have special markings on there and we could definitely get more into those details.
0: What about the actual pedigree label, though? It says the collection that it's from. It says the pedigree name on there, too. So if you wanting to have that um, information provided by just being able to look at the slab, you do have a route to go because that pedigree name is listed on CGC with whatever information that they have
1: provided. Yeah, and collection and pedigree are very different. So pedigrees are recognized. Collection of comics given that designation of pedigree, but there are collections like the Nicholas late Ca- the Nicholas Cage collection, mm. and it's not they're yes. not considered pedigree, but they're collections from somebody more famous. So there's a few collections, quite a few collections of famous collectors out there who have the collection designation, and it's different. They still just a blue label,
0: but it will say it was part of the collection on the label if it is verified.
1: Right, and the pedigree has this very special now black and gold type label and again you can always just google the pedigree something will come up and give you some historical fact on it or links to like cgc has a little bit little blurb about every single one
0: this next comments from timmy twister chatting about the wolverine one newsstand 9.8 that i bought that we didn't know for sure was you know possibly a case of the switcheroo someone trying to fool me you know switching out that comic book with maybe another lower grade copy to inflate the price because of the barcode who knows but there was enough red flags that we brought it to the mic to try to provide some awareness things to look out for you know what red flags will make it so that even if you really want a book and it looks like it's almost there and it could be right it's not worth the risk well this gentleman mentioned you talk about the tamper-proof clips, but you didn't say if they appeared damaged in your Wolverine one. I agree, however, this is a clear situation of possible switcheroo. Now, what I will say is that yes, the clips—there are four clips that are in each corner of the slab—and again, I'm not—I'm uh, not well-versed in all of the. Uh, tamper proofing and you know what goes in and what like what does it look like if it if it was this was the first experience I've had with a book that was uh, potentially fraudulently dealt. What I can say is the very first thing that Russ when I when I uh, showed it On to this him, this book that no Russ was the expecting. comic sensei. She's like, yo, show me another book that you have, and I want to show you something. So I grabbed a couple books that were around that era. However, they weren't the same, like. Type of slab because this was an older slab, but what I did see that was consistent among all my slabs is that each of those clips, this little like pins in the, each corner, if you're looking at it dead on, it's like you're looking into glass. You can see straight through it. If you if it wasn't so small and it was bigger, you could always you can almost miss it because it's a clear straight thing of plastic, and there's there's no imperfections. On this slab, the first thing Russ said was, look at this one in the corner and how this one is completely clear. But the other three looked like there were lines in the clip. And I don't know if that's what it means to be shattered or if it was tampered, but that was actually his reasoning for not wanting me to keep it. He's like, just those alone would be the reason why I would send this back. Let alone that you can almost take it out of the damn comic or out of the damn you know encasing. Also, the fact that it looked wrong, you know, with tape all around the book.
1: There's a lot to take from this. All right. Number one, examine your slab casing. And that's important. Just because it comes in the plastic doesn't mean that that something hasn't been, you know, potentially monkeyed with. So, examine your casing just just for precaution and... The clipwise yeah I'm not sure like I've dealt with a lot of slabs and there's some they used to be able to be a lot of flexibility in the middle especially. Right. I mean and then it used to be very easy to crack. You could literally just run a screw put it in, run a screwdriver all the way down, whatever. Or if you had the Newton rings, you can wedge a piece of paper in there and it separates a little bit and relieves that Newton ring. So there's a lot of you know changes in the many the two decades that CDC has been around with their cases. Something could have happened with the book. Sure, if you don't feel comfortable with it, Send it back, you know, whether there's some fractures around that plastic to mean that it was broken or not. I don't know, I've never made that much of an examination. I've cracked out a lot of books, and sometimes I've popped them, I thought no problem, but I never really clearly like it's checked really the difference. Tough. So I have a lot of slabs that are still kind of older, I might have to go back and take a hard look at them.
0: Yo, I have a, a comment from uh Cooper. Hoover, he wants some advice. I like this type of question here, like comment in the comment section. Maybe if members have a question about a specific deal or something, I can bring it to the mic and get some specialists to throw their two cents in, you know? So here, let's take a look at what he has to say, and I would love to hear your thoughts on this. It's a very interesting one. It's kind of like a what would you do in this situation. WWJD, what would Jeff do? Okay, here we go. Hey, guys. I don't know what I should do. I have a Spider-Man and his amazing friends, number one, CGC 9.8 newsstand. Here's the question. This book was sent from CGC and you can see spine ticks all over the book. It's not a 9.8. CGC themselves made a big mistake. So the question is, do I sell it as a 9.0 and tell the buyer that I believe it was misgraded? Or do I send it back to CGC and have them regrade it? I can't sell it at a 9.8. I just can't. And I really appreciate the honesty in this, in this uh, comment because there is something here that I would like to, uh, to point out. Regardless of the different options that he just laid out, which I think those are decent options here, and, and I'll share you what I think, and I'd like to hear your thoughts. The fact that he's already saying, I cannot sell this as is. It feels wrong. I think that right there is that voice in your head that you have to listen to. That is your integrity. Your integrity in the comic game is essential. It's everything. You, you, that's like It's the only requirement in this community is to have integrity. We have some of the most diverse members of any community that, by and large, gets along very well with one another. But integrity across the board, you're gone if you don't have it. So I appreciate the honesty and you questioning the situation. What do you think this gentleman should do?
1: (sighs) Yeah, that's an interesting one. Uh, And this isn't like, yo, I have a
0: nine eight and there's a scuff, and I have a stick. He said there's spine ticks all over it. He thinks it should be minimum a grade point lower.
1: Yeah, I, I, if I'm in his position, this is what I do. I contact CDC. I let him know. Okay, I don't. For me, I don't want to a sell it as is and. B, I don't want to have to pay for it again to be reholdered. Okay, I like to contact CGC, talk to the customer service. They're generally really nice there. Customer service is really great. So don't get me wrong. You can always contact them and just have these conversations. And I would ask them to just regrade the book. You know, like that's all you can really do. Hey, take a look at this. And they would appreciate that. If something came out wrong as a 9-8 and it doesn't stand up to the 9-8 grading criteria and there was an error, they want that to be fixed. They do. So sending that in to have it, reg- and granted, it is a, you know more of a waste of your time, and I get it. But if you want that accurate grade, you got to go through these steps, and you have to do that. So I would just probably submit it again. Can you please check this out and have it regraded? If it comes back a 9.8 again, then it's a 9.8. Maybe it's not a 9.8 to you because of some spine ticks, but the razor-sharp corners make up for it. The line and the alignment, the the other aspects that they judge. So I don't know. That That's what I would do. I would just have them regrade it.
0: I would reach out. I would do the same thing. The last thing I would want is to have to risk someone not reading your description. It happens a lot on eBay. Um, you don't want to risk selling this to someone and having them expect a 9.8 and miss this information. And then worst case scenario, it starts going off into the ether, you know, that this book starts training more hands. You don't want to like add to the problem by continuing the movement of where this book is going to be going, uh, especially if you're going to sell it. And yeah, reach out to CGC, get them to regrade it. And I bet if they do, and there's a problem, they'll probably take care of you. You know, I, I hear it a lot that they do fix their mistakes when they're made. They've definitely fixed my mistakes. So, um... I appreciate the question. Thanks for bringing it to the table. All right. Next one is uh, in reference to your FOMO that you experienced at Target, uh, members may remember that during our conversation about FOMO, you brought up your experience of FOMO in like the mainstream, nothing to do with comic books. There were some cards that people were waiting in line to get at Target and you were compelled to add your name to the list just to see if you can get what other people were getting, not even knowing What they were specking on. This member, Captain Dadpool, I like that name, had this to say. And that's why Target is no longer selling cards. LOL. Um, For those of you who don't know, just after the filming of that podcast, The Guardian posted this uh, news article. U.S. Target stores to stop selling Pokemon cards after rising value prompts threats to staff. The dramatic rise in the resale value of the cards prompted a fight in Wisconsin during which a man pulled a gun, ruining it for everyone involved. It is crazy what people will do for some damn Pokemon cards.
1: Yeah, and sports cards in general. It's funny because I literally was telling my son, hey, kiddo, if you want to maybe start working a little bit of a hustle, let's go Fridays down there. And you can buy some cards and maybe you can get yourself how to run a little bit of your own private business and buy and sell some things. Boy, I went in there with him on a Friday. Sure enough, there was signage everywhere. This was like just a few weeks later, all right, saying we are no longer selling these items. And it was just like, okay, there we go. And you know what's even more crazy? And it's, it's not the kid's fault. Right. It's the freaking adults who cannot act like adults. That is the problem. We yeah. cannot blame the children. We actually have to blame the adults. Who is usually the problem anyway, to Well, they honest. They're very
0: determined to get it for their children, but they definitely get confused that this isn't uh, a situation to risk your life for other people's lives. It's literally cards, you know? Yeah. Let it at least be a comic book that you're risking your life for. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Don't risk your life, comic fan. We want to hear your comments. Thanks so much for leaving them. And now we're going to chat about some... Just fantastic eBay findings that I've had this week. Um, These are listings, completed listings that are so cool, so unique, and honestly gives me some, best way to put it, it gives me some hope that there is still spec room in the marketplace. You know, some of these books, I'm like, damn, they're selling for that cheap. That's really cool. Oh, people aren't really throwing that much money down on all of these keys I feel like maybe I should save this to my favorite search, like my favorite, you know, my save search on eBay in case something comes up. And I want to talk about them. These are things that sold. This first thing is not a comic book, but I have to bring it to your attention. Right now, what we're looking at is a listing that completed for $170, Jeff. This is the Spider-Man utility belt, all right? This is 44 years old. And what we're looking at is a full... Like, you know, it's like the tools that Spider-Man would use. And you can dress up to a degree if you have the suit in its entirety. And what we're looking at is a box that has a utility belt, a walkie-talkie that clearly wouldn't have like had any functionality back then, a watch. But then take a look at this right here. That right there is a wristband. Like what we're looking at right now, comic fan for our audio listeners is a wristband that has a red rope at the, you know, attached to it. And then what looks like a metal end of a bungee hook, like, you know, like a hook, like, you know, that you would need for a bungee.
1: Like a carabiner.
0: Yeah. Like a carabiner. Like this right here is metal and it's rusting because it's been, you know, in here for so long. So imagine a kid back in the day, putting this hook on one end of something and then tying it to their wrist and then running around, probably trying to hoist themselves up with this rope on a tree and likely hurting themselves, possibly even having this metal hook, you know, being ricocheted back to them as it was pulled back. Like, oh my goodness, this is a dangerous item, but one that sold for 170 bucks.
1: I mean, look what it says. It says Power Web communicator, all right, you know. Walkie-talkie. Minus the communication. A grapple. So that's exactly what it is. It's a grapple. Like, I'm looking at the cord itself. Like, that thing can't support more than freaking 10 pounds. So a child trying to grapple something.
0: I just imagine a child throwing this at their sibling, you know, like the end of the hook trying to catch them. And it looks like a metal hook. It's (laughs) It's it's freaking crazy.
1: Stop grappling your sister.
0: Just stop grappling it. Okay, so here's another book that... Honestly, this kind of looks like a maniola cover. I could be wrong, but that negative space, those eyes. We have MODOK head games. Issue number one, have you seen the MODOK show?
1: I've seen commercials for it. Is it out?
0: Yeah, it's out. It's on Hulu. You can see it. It's, it's kind of got like that robot chicken vibe. I, I enjoy it. It's not my thing, really. I'm not, I'm not like up every week you know, granted, I think all the, the whole season has been released on Hulu, so it doesn't really matter. But, like, I'm not up like I was with uh, Invincible or The Boys. Like, I'm watching those shows midnight before I got to see it. I'm thinking about it all week. Modoc's a fun one to kind of throw on because it's kind of slapstick humor, you know, but I love MODOK. I think it's a, a hilarious narrative. Well, MODOK Head Games number 1 is the first featured time in comic books where MODOK's family is showcased, and it's actually in a flashback. This one right here goes for under $3. This is a dollar bin book. And considering that we have characters on screen, the MODOK family that's really been showcased, people don't know MODOK. People who know MODOK now know him as part of this animation. It's similar to WandaVision. You know, people are going to forever associate Vision, Scarlet Witch, and the twins with that narrative that took place, the groundbreaking show. And even the Vision from the Tom King run was spiking to no end because of characters just like this that were just integrated because... Yeah, he has a family, and so this is kind of the closest thing we have to a family narrative. So I just think this is a cool one. Seeing this go for a buck, i got to figure out who did this cover. Let me know in the comments section. We'll send you a no prize, comic fam, um, because you know what? I think this is just a cool book. That goes for cheap. Okay, now I do have some books on here that I know you're going to recognize, Jeff, and we'll get to those in a second, but this one also stopped me in my tracks this week. This went for a dollar, okay? Technically, it went for like $10 because someone bought it from Canada. Now, this one right here is uh, a comic book created by Roman Dirge. And Roman is the creator of Lenore. Lenore was optioned and has ties to Neil Gaiman right now. And it's likely gonna happen when Neil Gaiman's name is involved. So, when I stumbled upon this comic that I'd never seen, I couldn't help but like, get flashbacks to when I go to conventions or half price books or if I'm on the hunt and I see something I've never seen before and I just want to own it because it's weird. What we're looking at is a comic book. It looks like an ash can. The cat with the really big head. This cat's head is being suspended like it's a freaking dolly painting with elephants and horses. The head has to have stilts holding it up and there's actually a bird living on the top. It's very strange. And for whatever reason, I wanted to show it to the community. What's up? What do you think about this comic, Jeff? Like, how does it make you feel?
1: As an owner of two cats, it's intriguing because I don't understand where the story can go with it. But I, <laughs> I've never seen that comic either. I've seen Lenore, uh, Johnny the Homicidal Maniac, you know, all through that that time frame. But uh, the cat with the really big head, yeah, I've never seen it. But... Uh, I don't know. If you had one here, I'd flip through it, man. That's for sure.
0: (laughs) Yeah, he's got to read it, right? Okay, next on eBay. You know I had to bring some gold on the mic. I got to hear your thoughts about this. We had a Submariner Comics issue number one. Hit eBay. Come and go. A 6.5. What do we have on this cover here?
1: Yeah, so this is Submariner Comics number one, like you mentioned. 1941. uh, Submariner taking out a Nazi boat of soldiers here. And then you have the angel here at the bottom. And which is actually, a, I think the Angel is Marvel's longest running, one of the longest running heroes from, in Marvel Mystery Comics. and went up from like issue, God, I think one to 74 almost. I think longer than anybody else. Anyways, that's neither here nor there. A little fun fact. Um, it's a cool book. Um, how much did this thing sell for?
0: So the, uh, buy, the best offer price um, is confirmed at $30,000 for a 6.5.
1: Okay, okay. How does that feel to you? That's a tough one. You know, this book is interesting. I like the book because it's uh, the first time he's in his own title. But if you really look at the history of this character, I mean, he appeared in a giveaway at a theater yeah, Motion
0: Picture Funnies?
1: Motion Picture Funnies Weekly number one. Yeah. Allegedly is maybe nine in existence. So okay. cool, man. I would love to see Possibly never even distributed. Yeah. Rumors. Okay. Rumors. And then first appeared in Marvel Comics one. Huge key obviously But his first cover appearance Was Marvel Mystery Comics 4 Which is a hugely traded comic book Extremely expensive I think we just had like a below a 2.0 With Brittle Pages I believe Just sell a couple about a couple months ago for 20k Wow That's a huge number Okay and that also has I think the second appearance Of ever of a swastika on a comic book cover Oh wow Crazy stuff Yeah and then his third cover Or really second cover appearance is Marvel Mystery Comics 9, which is like him and Human Torch battling. It's a three-part story. Classic. starts in 8, and I think it ends in 11. So I think it's 8, 9, and then the 11th issue, I believe. Um, a very expensive book, too. But Submariner 1 is like his 20th, 30th, 20th-plus appearance somewhere along the line. He appeared in Human Torch 1 before that even. So it's a cool book because it's his first title. But outside of that, if you think about his cover appearances. He's been around for a while. He's been around for a while. $30,000, I get it. I think it's those collectors who are getting into the hobby, wanting a Submariner, and they think Submariner 1 is the book. It has been, I think, in my opinion, possibly undervalued and underappreciated for a while. It's starting to gain momentum because A, it's Submariner, and it's a Golden Age book that is available, and it's more easily available than Marvel Mystery Comics 4, which is extremely difficult. Marvel Mystery Comics 9 also. So for a key to get into that's a number one with a major hero like that, it might not be a terrible price. I know a lot of people have been holding very firm on their prices for years on this book, waiting for their comeuppance. So this might have been that sale for them.
0: Well, I'll tell you, it was listed for $40,000. So that was a $10,000 discount. And something to consider, you know, if you're dealing with these really high-end books, It's worth trying to negotiate if the seller is up to it.
1: I would love a copy of this book. It's very action one feel. Instead of crashing the rock, you know, the car into the rock, it feels like he's crushing this boat in the same angle down. So it feels like that to me. You know, it's a great image.
0: All right. Next book on the list that we got to chat about that sold on eBay recently is a classic horror cover. One of the most memorable covers, one of the best. It sold for $7,945 after 48 bids. Chamber of Chills, 19. What are we looking at for the audio fam?
1: See, this is the classic Lee Elias cover, all right? This was even used by the Misfits in their, you know, 1984 single, Die, Die, My Darling.
0: Danzig loves comic books, so you know that was his doing.
1: Yeah, he's a fan. And you know, it's funny. They just sold the original art to this last year. Did they really? Yeah. Yeah, oh, thinking, wow. I can't remember what it went for. It's either 175 or $275,000. Either way, it felt soft for as important as this book is when you think about it. Regardless, as classic as it gets, it's just look at the look what it says on here. It says, Here's looking at you, darling, on our happy anniversary. Yeah. So we have this skeleton hand holding this champagne glass, from what I understand is what it is. And through the reflection of the champagne is a skeleton face of this beautiful, sultry-like gal smoking a cigarette.
0: And, like, half of her face is the skull. Half of it is her normal beauty being showcased with her blonde, that, that yellow. It, it just it pops through the screen. And we're talking about a comic book that came out in 1953. Between VG and fine condition, smoking that cigar... Like a badass, like Constantine back in the day. Don't smoke, kids, but damn, she looks good.
1: Yeah, I mean, she's she's here teasing death. You know, that's kind of what it's feeling like. So it's it's there's something about this cover that you can't help but be attracted to as a collector or a non-collector. And I have no idea what this book sold for. So tell me. Hit me with it. And it's raw. It's not even great. Oh, yeah, 7945 bucks. And it was graded as a what? A VG fine, you said? VG fine, yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't grade that as a VG fine either. So that's a raw book, yeah. Yep. So looking at that book, I'd say it's maybe a VG. Okay.
0: So what what do you think? Do you feel like that's a, a that price is about right, or maybe it may have been a little little high because of the market?
1: <sighs> I mean, it's one of those books. You just any giving auction, you never know when it's going to spike. Um, I think if you wanted that book, you should be happy you got it at VG for that price. Just be happy, enjoy it. Give or take another thousand or fifteen hundred, who really cares at this point? And you may
0: not see one for quite a while. Did I say it was a cigar or a cigarette? She's smoking a cigarette. I just want to make sure I said it right. She's definitely not definitely not smoking a cigar. Definitely not um experiencing the type of torture and and just just terribleness that this next fellow is experiencing. Oh my goodness. This this cover right here is Probably one of the best examples of why a code was needed at the time. We're talking about a sale of $2,600 for a abhorred, a a good-looking copy of Black Cat number 50. Talk about this outstanding, disturbing, memorable cover.
1: Shocking horror radiates from white heat. The radium. Yeah, this is what happens when you smoke a radium cigarette, by the way. Your face will melt. So this is another you know, glorious cover by Lee Elias, who's just absolute legend in in the horror cover industry. And it's also by Harvey. Both those titles were by Harvey Publications. And there, these books aren't really scarce or rare. There's quite a few. I mean, I can assume there's probably around 80 or so of these already graded alone and probably almost 100 of the Chamber of Chills 19. So if you think about that in the grand scheme of it, it's not that scarce. But it doesn't mean it's not in demand and wanted. For me, if I wanted to buy this book... It's a great filler copy, but ultimately it's one of those things with such a striking image, you want to have it appear better. Okay, so I can tell looking at this, it's, it's not bad. The main image area is there. So it's, it's probably a good pickup for somebody at that price point because there's always going to be that baseline. Right. You know, when you get into low grade, you still have to pay your minimums to get your book. So whoever got this book, congrats on adding it to your collection and uh, enjoy the face melting picture.
0: We'll leave you with this spec book. I still feel like it's undervalued. We know that that Zatanna is coming. We know that we're going to see uh, Black Adam being played by The Rock, debuting Dr. Fate, Cyclone, Adam Smasher, and Hawkman. I'm looking at a Hawkman issue number four, graded at 8.0. First appearance of Zatanna. This book, considering the heights of other books. We're talking about Ultimate Fallout that came out in 2011 at a 9.8 that has sold for more money than an 8.0 first Zatanna that came out in 1964. This comic at auction after 30 bids hit $2,500. That doesn't seem right. I think that there is... So much room on this
1: book, especially lower grade copies. It's a hundred percent right. You guys tell you why it's right. Cause it's DC, yeah. and DC can't do anything right with <laughs> their characters. So the price is right. You know how many great keys DC has that don't sell for poop? It's Quite a, lot, a few. Dude. Dark, dude. Dark side Quite first
0: appearance will go for like four k. Okay, at a nine point eight. Like we're talking like Forever People issue number one. Jack Kirby shout out. First appearance of Thanos in Iron Man 55 broke 20K in the last week for a 9.8. Like, the, I think it was like $24,000, if I recall correctly. That much? Yeah, man. It's it, huge numbers. And we're not going to see Thanos appear in any way that's going to push spec towards him. His time, you know, as far as like the mainstream, you know, his, his, his story was told. His biggest story was told. And we know Dark Side is coming. You know, we know that he is a big bad that they're going to attempt to integrate if they do anything uh, based off of the last JLA movie again, which who knows, you know, with, with what happened with that very movie, there's a lot of unknowns, but man, it is selling for upwards of five times less than a Marvel book that really is only selling because of how much that character has peaked in society. Well, they built Marvel
1: built a culture. Okay, of collectors and interest in their characters. DC cannot get traction in that. They cannot build a culture. They know how to destroy a culture very, very well. Okay, so that's what's happening. You look at Brave and the Bold 28, okay, first appearance of the Justice League. You look at Showcase 22, for Silver Age Green Lantern. These books are five to six years older than the first appearance of FF, first appearance of Spider Man. And those books are selling five times more than their counterpart for what god-given reason other than dc cannot make it work it's as black and white as it gets you want to get into comics you want to click cool keys go click dc
0: comic family, what value. do you think we got to hear your thoughts about this in the comment section below do you feel like some of the stuff is undervalued we do all right let's get into a portion of the show that i think is going to help some newer collectors some some people who are interested in moving their comic books, maybe beyond some of the traditional routes, okay? We're talking six ways to sell your expensive paper, all right? Let's get into it right here, right now. We have six traditional ways, but they're all emerging and changing over time. A lot of these are evolving, and we would even talk about some of these platforms back in the day. And now we're bringing them back on the mic, talking about them in a different way because sellers have figured out a new way to utilize them, to grow their communities and to offer a way to have their customers buy from them with confidence. That's a big part of this. Integrity, right? We already chatted about that today. You have to provide your buyer the ability to get the comic that they're purchasing in a way that they feel like it's going to be safe to do, that they're not going to regret it after the fact. And that way... They want to buy from you again and again. And it's that repetition, that building of a community that is like the foundation of comic stores in their entirety, you know, dealers circles and their network. So the first one on our list today, if you were hit with the challenge of I want to move my comics, OK, and, we're, and these are all different situations, you know, I, I would recommend different platforms based off of your particular case, you know, whether you have a collection, whether you have one book, and it really is going to determine how much work you want to put into it and which route you're going to go. So the first one here is a store. We're talking about an LCS. Taking your comics to a store is always an option to move your comics. However, it will likely be one of the ways that you will get the least amount potentially for your comic book. And I think that that is something that members need to understand a bit better.
1: Yeah, I'm with you on this pretty aggressive. Well, yeah, I guess pretty aggressively. I mean, I 100% agree with you. Going the store route for me would be the least most likely unless you have a really great with your relationship with your store. If I walk into a store and they're going to tell me it's going to take they're going to take 40% plus of the book. And they're going to give me the spiel of, oh, I'm taking up floor space and I got to pay rent. Man, I'm walking my butt right out of there. I do not want to deal with you. I do not trust you enough. And you're just giving me a line. And then sometimes people don't know better and they accept that. Like, oh, he's right. I am taking up floor space. You know what? What If you're bringing in stuff that they're going to put on their show floor um, – I promise you is probably better than the stuff they already have there because a lot of the inventory I see at a lot of stores usually isn't that fantastic and they're just putting up stuff on their walls. So if you have a good collection of books, if you know you have value in your books, you need to find your best option. And that generally isn't your local store. And again, unless you have a good relationship and they will take maybe 10 to 15 percent, then maybe that helps. OK, because a the money stays close. It's local. It's local pickups. That's a possibility, but don't sell yourself short if you know you have value in your books. And right now, a lot of us have value in our books, especially if you're finding collections that have been either you've been collecting for a long time or passed down through generations.
0: Interesting. So, you know, I, I agree with you to a certain extent. I think that there are members that um, if they don't look up their books and have any idea of the value that they have and they're trusting an LCS to get them the top dollar they can get for their collection and hoping that there's some honesty built there, if there isn't a relationship, get a second opinion. Don't take the first offer. And I would tell you that flat across the board, right? However, there is an aspect of most comic books are not worth something. There's a lot of collections that are filled with books that are only going to sell for a dollar. And if you're bringing long box after long box in And you've been told multiple times at multiple stores that there's nothing, there's no major keys. The book in here that's worth the most money is $10. Most of those stores are going to be like, here, keep the $10 book. I just, will just buy the rest of these for, you know, uh, a rate of closer to what you just described, like half of what they can make for it. And I think that the point to be made here is that you are getting something out of moving the collection at a store, which is zero work. You're bringing it in traditionally getting a level of assessment for free and the ability to walk away with cash a lot of the time or store credit or something like that. So I think if you are in a position where you don't want to put any work into it, you need the money and you want to be done. You don't want to go down any route and put any more time into something like this. Yes, a storefront is a good opportunity. And it's a great one to try to get some assessment and possibly some help because there's also alternatives
1: to just selling straight up to a store. I think that's really good to put a little baseline of what we're talking about here. That makes total sense. Like, again, if you have a collection and you're not sure of its value, you don't know anything about it, you definitely need to go get multiple opinions, three, four opinions. Okay. If you do not do that, okay, you're asking to have the advantage, someone taking advantage of you. Okay. That is what you're asking for. You need to do a little bit of due diligence, which is going shopping around, asking people. All right, if you realize, like you said, that there isn't much value there, then absolutely, man, unload it locally because to unload it any other way is so difficult.
0: Well, the next one on our list here is consignments. That one right there is an alternative that you can still do through a store. There are dealers that do this professionally where they take a lot of inventory from peers. And individuals that they meet, that they get recommendations from, take a small percentage and then do the work for you. And that's going to be traditionally right between the costs of what you'd lose for just selling the collection its entirety to like an average store where they have to make their money on it as well and, you know, and deal with the inventory. So they're going to take less and maybe an auction site where you're paying 20% plus all of the cost and the time that you would spend in having to grade, price, ship, and all that stuff.
1: I think I got a little bit mixed up here with the store and the consignment. So let's say we do consignment with a, a store. Sure. Right? So or a person.
0: It, you know, so It could be a store, okay. could be a, person. a
1: person. So if you're going to do consignment with a store person, again, it just depends on the value. So if you have value there, make sure not to sell yourself short with good quality stuff for too high of a percentage because stuff will sell and move. But again, it, it's... If you don't want to put the work in, then that's okay. But if you want to put the work in, the best way to maximize your money is going to be you doing the work. So that's the best way to do it. So if you don't want to do that, there's options here on this list. If yeah. you want to do that, there's options here on this list too. So consignment, that's a great easy way. You drop off the books. You give them to somebody local. You know, Maybe it's a business so you trust them, and that's great. But just don't sell yourself too short on percentages potentially, because that's usually where everything is going to get you. Is going to be that percentage.
0: I recommend keeping logs of everything that you're doing consignments on. I also recommend having updates that are established prior to any agreement. You want to know monthly, bi-monthly, uh, quarterly. You know what's the status of the books we provided. What did they sell for? What's the current situation? I have heard some horror stories where, yeah, collection was provided so that they could take on the consignment, but they just didn't get to it. Six months go by. What's going on? We could have done something by now, and there's frustrated people now as a result. So you want to be up on the agreement right up front. Deal with someone that has good uh, a good track record. Get some referrals, but consignment is another route to go. But if you want to put some work in, well, there's always the convention scene as an option. This is like the OG way, man. This is what I did growing up with my dad, you know, on a on a Friday, Saturday, sometimes Sunday morning, getting irritated as hell. Him waking me up, Tom, I need you to move 20 long boxes. Help me. My back hurts. And we're lugging comic long boxes from the barn clear to the driveway. I'm sweating. I'm a kid. My fingers hurt because of the, you know, the... The BCW boxes, the old ones are pretty nice on your hands, but the newer ones are like a jagged edge and you're just like basically cutting your hands up, your monos, and going to like not just a comic convention. I'm talking like malls, going to swap meets, setting up in areas with other retailers and, and, and individuals who sell things alike, not always just comic books, and bringing your price books and hoping for the best. And a lot of the times having some success because comic book peeps are willing to hunt. They're willing to travel.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, if you're going to put that time in and you're going to spend the time to price stuff out, grade it, learn a little bit about the hobby. This is a great way to go because you don't just bulk out your material now. OK, you're selling things individually. You'll get more money individually versus bulk now. The other convention thing we should talk about so I have just setting up either a big show, small show, swap, whatever's convenient for you. granted, it is a lot of work, guys. It oh, is it's a lot of work. It's
0: tiring, man. You're getting up early, you're, prep, you're preparing, but it's a fun time, man. I enjoy it.
1: Yeah, we enjoy it. Does the person enjoy it? I don't know, but it's going to be a huge learning experience, and you're going to really get a feel for it, and that's that's majorly important. But there's also taking your collection and trying to sell it on a con floor at a big show to dealers, which I find. And I've seen a lot of success for people doing this. And for a very important reason, again, like last week, it's the FOMO factor. When you have dealers competing against other dealers on a show floor for a collection, it's like a pissing match between some of them. It really is. Again, it's they it, childlike. Man. Yeah, it's like, I won this convention. Boom. And you will get some pretty solid money. And usually you can get it cash because people come with cash there. They're huge dealers, so they're able to pay more than a local comic shop who's struggling potentially spending money on trying to get new books every week. Okay, so I find that to be, if you're organized enough, or you even have the books in a truck in the parking lot ready to go, and, cause, and if it's on a con floor, that's like, great, they can sell that stuff immediately. You
0: go to booth to booth. You and know? recoup
1: money, right. If you just have several keys you want to sell, you can shop the entire floor. I've seen
0: you legit buy something and be able to like throw it up on the wall. Cause it's like, you know what? You just sold this key book and you want it. You want a book like that on your wall because it brings people to your booth. You don't even necessarily need to move that book right then and there, but it's a good wall book. You know, you're, you're adding inventory that's being, you know, constantly replaced. And on a Sunday, you may want to have some nice books to throw up there.
1: Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I could have a pretty wall. Right. But anything on my walls are to sell. So I have prices on. Myself. Of course, of course, of course. <laughs> but yeah, like I'm just telling you, I think the best one of the best places on for like in person will be at a big con competing against other dealers who I'm telling you, man, they get to this brag rights for the weekend. Like, oh, yeah,
0: look what I got. Look,
1: look, look who won, boys. Next you know. one on the
0: list here. eBay. eBay. I mean, for real, though. It's the most utilized auction platform. It's where so many prices are based off of. And the reason is, is because it's simple. It's time consuming. You know, at times it's frustrating. You're going to be held accountable, 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 accountable for um, a a bunch of different things that honestly, it's good experience to be accountable for. You're going to be um, held to a high standard for shipping, uh, shipping things on time, quickly. You're going to be uh, worried about feedback because with bad feedback doesn't just come poor public perception. They will hold your money. They'll start tying things up, making it difficult for you to move the comic books because they want people who are dealing with things in the right way. I happen to know based off of my inner circle, eBay doesn't think very highly of comic books. Did you know that? I did not know that. I have heard through the grapevine that in, you know, eBay conversations with some businesses that eBay is frustrated with the comic book activity because they sell a lot. This is just one type of collectible in the grand scheme of things that eBay provides. There's a lot of trouble that comes with comics because of all of the difficulties that comes with selling comics, taking multiple pictures and having to be super transparent. And this book looks like a reprint, but it's not a reprint. Oh, wait, it is a reprint. And this was shipped poorly. And now there's money being um, tied up because of mistakes and and it was shipped wrong. And then you have uh, just in general, comics are a strange collectible in that it's too big to ship cheaply,
1: but it's small enough that you feel like you're always overpaying to ship it. That is 110% true about the shipping. I can't believe how much it costs to ship a comic because the size, like you said, is just enough for it to be too obtrusive in a certain format of mailing, but just right enough to where you're just like, God, I'm really paying that much to ship this flat little freaking comic book. It's so annoying. Like you said, eBay, huge audience. Obviously a huge audience very competitive out there, but a lot of things to think about because, like you said, you got to deal with issues. you got to deal with personalities that you don't know who these people are on the other end of their keyboard, and you have to know what you're doing because if you're grading a comic and you're telling them it's this grade then and they disagree, then you're going to get some negative feedback, and you're going to waste all this time, potentially lose all this money and piss off people and damage your account. So there are risks with eBay. I'm not saying it's not possible. People do it every freaking day, all right? Thousands and thousands of people do it. You can do it. It's a lot of work. It's doable. You can do it from your home. Do it at your leisure. Do it at your own time frame. So it works for certain people that way.
0: eBay has options to obviously sell things as a buy it now, best offers, which we've even touched on today. You also have the ability to do auctions. And if you're willing to risk something selling for lower than what you feel like market value should be, you have that ability to do that. However, the thing with eBay is there's a, uh, a balance of quantity of what you're trying to sell and how fast you move it because every month you're dealing with fees. And fees means that your books that you're trying to sell are actually selling for less because of how long they take to move. So you have to be on your pricing. And if you have a ton of listings, that's a lot of price adjustments, just adding time on top of time that you're spending to try to get top dollar for something that also may not sell or it may sell for very little. So the trick to eBay that I have found as far as seeing success in the community is doing it often. What I mean by doing, I mean listing often and also going all in on a type of selling. If you're doing auctions, it's better to do a lot of auctions often than just one auction on occasion. If you're looking to sell a particular type of book, it's better to have um, the quickness of selling similar types of books than to have to take the time to... Price, grade, oh, this is a dollar, listing a dollar book. Oh, this one's a $100 book. And then, All right, spending the time to list that one. It's a lot quicker to do things that are more within the same genre, the same type of collectible, and then in the same style of selling. For example, I actually have an eBay page. We do weekly 10-day auctions, and I would say 95% of the inventory on my eBay page are just auctions, and they're not just any type of auction, there are auctions for modern books on average or graded books on average in very fine near mint or better condition. That way, when the raw book sells, it's high grade. It's very easy to sell it. I don't have to take 10 pictures of a book because if I'm saying this book is near mint, that book is near mint. There's not a whole lot of, you know, 10 pictures per item and then uploading 10 pictures. And then when that image gets uploaded to eBay and it comes in horizontal, you got to click the button to make it go vertical again so it displays right. Like I have streamlined a way so that I'm dealing with a very particular type of collectible because I sell comics in different ways. And we'll get into some other ways here in a second. But I encourage you to go all in on whatever way that you feel like is the easiest way for you to stay consistent cuz consistency is the biggest part of this. You got to just do it often within your uh time allowance that you're giving yourself. Looking at this next one on the list, we have auction houses. All right, now this one right here is going to be like if you have a big book, you're either going to go on eBay or you're looking for a better way to move it. And if you're not looking to shop it between stores and you don't have a dealer network, where can you take your big key book? And I'm talking grails, man. I'm talking books you don't see every day. You got to get this in front of a, a a buyer, the right buying pool.
1: Let's just say you have great books. Okay, you know you have great books. Auction house, like you mentioned, is a really solid option. If you don't know how to sell to people in a circle that you of other collectors. Okay, if you don't have that circle, you just quietly collect. You don't have friends who want the same books as you do, and you don't want to sell it privately like that. Or you're not even sure what the price is because you have a rare book and you want to see what it hits at an auction. Auction house is the way to go. Okay, you have Heritage Auctions, which is a beautiful, amazing auction house. All right, you have Comic Link. or All right, who sell? sells oh, another auction house? Comic Connect, another comic auction house. Those are probably the top three right now. So really good options for that. And you can actually negotiate your commissions when you have good quality stuff. So keep that in mind. If you have really good books, you're doing them a favor by making their auction look better against these other competitors. And there's value to that. So feel free to at least try to negotiate. And I think you can, for a lot of people, it's very doable. All right. And every little percentage goes a long way. And it, you gotta ask, it doesn't hurt to ask.
0: You can always email these companies, especially if you have a question, you have examples of books, it will go a long way. And then they can point you in the right direction or maybe even give you a recommendation. Last on this list is social media. And this one's a fun one because we were chatting about you know about this like three years ago about how exciting these platforms have been um, evolving, you know, how, like what they've become. And we're talking about in particular today, Facebook and Instagram. And Facebook has grown a lot because there is a – this is an incredible amount of individuals joining groups in the, in, in the fandom, whether it be Marvel Comics-only groups, DC Comics, Indie Comics, foreign comics, or buy-sell trade groups. And that is where the most success is being garnered on, the f- on social as it pertains to Facebook. You join a group. By just searching, getting a recommendation from someone else in the community, and these groups have different rules, guidelines. You got to know those rules. You play by their rules, but also it keeps the community interesting. Some of these groups have, uh, you know, rules in place of like how often you can sell. Some of them don't. Some have rules in place of like what type of thing you can sell that particular day. Graded comics only auctions only, claim sales only. Some, it's just a free for all. He's got to find the right one. But this year, especially more than others, is the first time we're seeing as much activity because of COVID. This has actually been the saving grace, in my opinion, of many comic book stores across the country because they've realized if we can't get comic, um, comic peeps in to you know get our merchandise, we got to come to them. And where are they going? Oh, this is where they've been. This is where they're where they're going and where they've been for quite some time. And then you have IG, Instagram, which obviously it's very simple to sell comic books on there. Aside from having a marketplace embedded into your profile, you could also build a group, a network of individuals who want to buy from you or do what we do on your Instagram every single month.
1: I don't get to use Facebook that often. It's just not a platform that I've become comfortable with, but I know a lot of successes on Facebook. A lot of right. people have a great success on there. When you start doing social media route, it's you putting yourself out there more publicly, okay? And sometimes that's uncomfortable for people. And there's the people who have no problem being in front of a camera. So for us, we've established enough of a following, and so we have that traction. And so we go live on a camera once a month and sell our stuff, and that works great for us. But we're not the only ones. It's a very common thing to do, and no matter how many people you have, on Instagram specifically, you can build a quick, quick base of people who are interested in comic books. And it's a great environment out there. I mean, super positive. There's a lot of great people there that I trust. Very rarely do I see any type of shady activity from anybody. Right. So it's very, it feels like a very accountable area and people are looking out for other people's backs. So between the two platforms, since I only really use IG, I I lean very heavily on that.
0: And I recommend members do that. I I don't think they should do all of them. I think that if you have the time to do more than one, by all means, but it's better to figure out which one works for you the best and go all in on that and serve that community. It'll be more than enough.
1: Yeah. And so like you mentioned, so for um, because I recognize that it's not easy to sell like once a week on Sundays. Um, I offer my platform free so people can sell their stuff. Golden Age Guru on IG. Okay, because I just it, the more people who can sell their books and move those to other people in the community, you you really get to meet so many amazing people who are just like you hanging out. That's what they're doing. They're in their house buying and selling comics just like you are, or just buying comics. And so when you have this this community that you can build and network, you're really going to grow your collection. You're going to be able to unload your collection and you're going to make everybody happy because they're now adding a book that they've been looking for. So try to find out the social media route if you can because it is a lot of fun because you meet people and you actually do become friends with some of these people. And then all the other ones are great options. So there's some of the top, I think, six, right? We went all through all of them, yeah, right? six
0: of them, but you know, there's like a couple of subcategories in there. But there's like six solid ways that someone could you know, take a look at Spend some time, go through the process of selling something and then seeing how you feel about it. Because if you got a collection, you got a lot of comics, you're going to be doing that a lot. So the funnest route is going to be the best route because you're going to spend a lot of time on it.
1: Wise words, man.
0: All right. Now we are getting into the heart of the show, Comic Fam. This is a fun one. We're talking about buyer's regret. Okay. And I didn't realize that buyer's regret is kind of like a a dual definition. The first is you bought something and you regret that you bought it. And I think that's more tied to FOMO than anything else. Um, but really what we were chatting about in anticipation for this, for this uh, podcast today, podcast number 40, is when you should have bought something and you didn't and you regret that you didn't buy it. And we've reached out to the community. We all have these stories. Dude, back in the day, Emerald City Comic Con. I still remember the con. I told myself, I want to get a New Mutants 98. First appearance of Deadpool. And I'm going to hunt for some. I would leave that convention with four New Mutants 98s. Okay? On that con floor, I searched, and we're talking about like a decade ago. Okay? I searched every dealer box, every wall. I asked every single person I said no to upwards of 15 copies of New 98. And I walked out with like four or five. And I was like convincing myself back then that these VF near mint copies, like they were pretty nice, man. They were high grade that I overspent having spent $30 on one of them, 25 on the other. Like I was, I was like, ah, you know what? Maybe go go up one day, but I really feel like I should have gotten them for like 20 bucks. Because back then, this was a common book. This was not a book that sells for what it sells for now. And I think about that. that I, back then, I spent any time, you know, pinching pennies. I was younger, you know, you know it's like you want to be conservative, you know, you're spending a lot at a convention, you pay to get in. But I think about those 15 other copies that were 30 bucks, 35 bucks, 25 bucks. And then I put them back and I was like, oh, I don't need that. I can get that. I can get that anytime. But I didn't, and I had four. And yeah, I would go on to sell those four copies or grade them. Like one would be like a nine six, one would be a nine four, one would be a nine eight. You know, cool for me, but man, that example has happened so many times in my life where it's like back then I think I'm thinking I can get that book anytime and I'm going to be picky and I'm not going to overbuy. But man, now I wish I did. I wish I grabbed those books. I wish I grabbed them all. We all have these feelings. Buyers regret.
1: Yeah, I mean, I have the regret of not picking up, like I mentioned earlier in the show. My Secret Wars 8, okay? It was a 10.0. It's crazy, man. $100. $100 this dealer had. it. He had a bunch of copies. He had one 10.0. First that time, appearance the black suit. Yeah, at that time, they just, it was fairly new to see that. I mean, it just wasn't, like, it wasn't a no-brainer like it used to be, but I probably should have, obviously should have picked it. I looked, I had it in my hand, man, but I was out there looking for older books. So I was like, ah, I got a budget, I'm just I'm putting this back. Whatever, poppycock. There's new stuff. Whatever, right? So I think back on that a lot.
0: Do you have any other ones that you that you know kind of come to mind that you're like, man, I should have, I should have bought that, man. Why didn't I buy? Uh, There's been like over three Hulk one eighty ones that obviously now I'm kicking myself for not buying. Fortunately for you, every Hulk one eighty one you come across, you freaking buy. What's your most recent count?
1: I mean, I've I've let stuff go, man. And early on, and then I just stopped. It's like, why do I let it go? Because I can't ever. Like, we got to bring your Hulk one eighty ones to the mic. One of these we're days. We're gonna man.
0: do a we're gonna Those do a days. massive grading, and we're gonna do a huge grade reveal. Can you at least tell me what it's above? How many copies do you have minimum right now? I think I have twenty three. Twenty three right. Hulk one eighty ones. All right. So give me an example of another one. What's another like? Ah, you could have bought it. Is there a Golden Age book in your list? Like, there's got
1: to be something that. I feel like I should have bought a Cap One you a long ch- time ago. Oh my god! I should have. Like there Dude, was a low. That's like lull, your book, man. That's I one that you've
0: told me forever that you've been wanting. There
1: was a Cap One that I looked at in a private collection, and the guy, uh, the centerfold was married, so I passed on it. Oh, so you're but like, ah, oh, it's sh- not right. I shouldn't have passed on it. I should have. Pa- I should have just. I mean, I had it. I flew down to look at this collection. I bought a bunch of books from, but he had a cap one. And by the end, it was like, oh, dude, you, scary. if you would have gotten
0: that cap one, you could have traded that for a daredevil one, Yeah, know, really nice daredevil. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We love you, man. <laughs> you know who you are. Okay. So we, we have the community that shared some stories that are painful and you know what's something, you know, it's kind of, kind of silly is like when we were going through this, we we're like, Oh, we're going to just like talk about people's pain today. Cause this is what it is. It's a feeling of like it's loss that you didn't really lose because you were never part of the transaction because you never decided to start the transaction. But in your head, it feels like you did. It feels like like you like you owned it and then like let it go. And some of these examples that we have in the community are pretty damn harsh. So so here's somebody um, who responded on Instagram. This is from Sean Us Tunnel. He said he should have gotten into collecting Golden Age way sooner and man, I can relate so much to this gentleman. Um, I got into gold way later and I felt like even by that time that I was into gold, I was still not as aggressive in purchasing and learning and collecting and and, and just getting my confidence up with, with all that's involved. And now you look at the market and it's like, man, unless you're going for very specific genres, you gotta be patient. What do you tell a person who is, feeling like they missed out on gold
1: uh i wish i could say you know you could you get you get a do over here buddy but you don't (laughs) you don't um i just say um there's still openings in gold there's still plenty of openings in gold silver age is crazy expensive so i think golden age is just still there ripe for the picking um at this point but yeah obviously broadening your scope
0: the genre doesn't have to be pre-code horror.
1: It's true. I don't go to any convention with any premise of what I'm going to buy. Like, I good, have to buy this tip. book. I just know enough of the comic eras from golden age to m- modern-ish that whatever I find, I'm going to like. And I'm just open to it. Get like, into hey.
0: romance, dude. I, th- I feel like that's such so underrated.
1: Yeah, I mean, romance to an extent for sure. I mean, they're, they're, you really, outside of Matt Baker, there's a lot of great romance books still out there. Great crime, a lot of great crime. Great crime.
0: All right, here's another, uh, another fun one here. This is from Archangel0891. And I'm just going to apologize in advance to all the members who are listening to this who were reading their comments because not only did you provide us the information we needed to figure out what you missed out on, you also gave us an opportunity to price the comics that you missed out on in today's market. So we're going to be going over what these misses actually mean right now with accurate pricing as of June of this year. So, um, angel, this is, uh, this is his story. I walked into forbidden planet years ago, years ago, and was browsing through new books. He picked up a zombie book thing was it was in black and white. So he didn't really, he he thought meh is the quote he put them back. There were three or four of them. Walking Dead number one
1: Cover price.: I would have done the same thing. I would look at the black and white. a lot of like, people would have
0: Meh. A lot of people did. And Walking Dead number one, you know we'll, we'll assume that hey, it was off the wall. People you know were fing- you know they were, they were touching them. They were they were moving them.
1: Probably wasn't a nine eight, okay?
0: so let's let's just take a look at what a uh, Walking Dead One at 9 point two goes for right now.
1: The last nine2 sale was in May. All right, and it was eleven hundred and thirty-three dollars.
0: So, considering that you had, could have bought in four of them, depending on what the store would let you buy, yeah, I would say that's a near you know forty-five hundred dollar uh, mistake that you, that you made there. Not a mistake because you wouldn't know. You don't know these things these aren't mistakes.
1: Let's 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 be clear. In sports terms, it's a swing and a miss. A swing and a miss. There you go.
0: The effort was there.
1: It was. You you thought about it. You, yeah yeah. You looked at it and it didn't, it didn't, they didn't sell the book to you, which is fine because I would have done the same thing. I would have put this zombie black and white book right the hell back.
0: Okay. This next one is pretty fun here. Alan Russin, He said he walked into an LCS in Mississippi after having convinced his mom in advance for some allowance to buy a comic book. Right. You've been there. All right. He chose a $30 Elf Lord number one. Hey, it was hot back then. So um, we, we priced a Elf Lord, didn't we?
1: Oh, yeah. We priced an Elf Lord.
0: How much is that Elf Lord one going for? Do you Elf recall? Ford Wasn't one, it like
1: depending on which print it was. But a 9.8 was like $40.
0: 40 bucks. So the book is worth pretty much less than what you paid for it because you had to pay to get it graded at, to sell it at that $40 marker. Okay, okay. That, that's a bummer. But here's where it gets really, really tough. He chose that over what he believes to have been a first print TMNT number one for $50 back then. Ouch. So so here's the thing. We're going to give you the benefit of the doubt that back then you could have been mistaken. There's a handful of printings of TMNT one. So let's start at the lowest. Okay, we're going to go with the fourth print. It could have been a fourth print. All right, it may not be as bad as you think, okay? And obviously, we're not going to quote you 9.8 prices because what are the odds, right? So let's just quote them 9.2. Let's keep that going. A fourth print of TMNT number one at a 9.2 goes for roughly $250 as of May. Not so bad. Not so bad. Okay, it's not that bad. Third print, however, for a 9.2 back in March has gone for $1,300. That one hurts a bit. A
1: little bit more painful, yeah.
0: Then we have the second print. Second print right now, as of May, is selling for sixteen to like upwards of two grand for a nine two, nine, four right now.
1: Nine two at least yeah, probably.
0: All right. And then the first print hit him with the nine two back in April that sold. I hope it wasn't a first print, my brother.
1: Yeah, but just brace yourself, okay? Get ready. Get ready. It's a cup check right here.
0: All right, Alan. This is a, this is what you missed out on. For nine. Elf
1: Lord. <laughs> for. You got Elf Lord, dude. In April, we saw a nine two sell for $32,400.
0: Oh, I feel it. I feel it. But you know what, Alan? You're going to feel a little bit better here in a second because we have uh, Just Mingled. He's sharing his story from 2011. Okay. What? What happened in 2011? Could it be worse? Could it be a UFO? Oh, oh, maybe. Hold on. In 2011, Just Mingled said he put 50. He remembers doing this. Putting 50. Yes, 50. 50 Ultimate Fallout 4s in his basket when he was on eBay. He put them in his basket, and they were at a price that was essentially shelf price. The total was 350 euros. Does it even matter with 50 copies what that math is? I mean, we're talking like $3.50, you know, plus or minus a couple bucks back then. For the exchange rate, right? It's like close to double. It could be. Yeah, it's probably
1: about what is that? Eight. Let's just say eight dollars or eight dollars a piece for Ultimate
0: Fallout Four. He put them all in his cart and then thought this. This is the quote. Nah, no one's gonna want one of those, and he left the cart. If only he had bought and held on to them long term like he initially planned. So.
1: What's a 9.2 for uh, Ultimate Fallout 4 going for, Jeff? 9.2. $750 as of this month.
0: Yeah, you know what? Um, We're actually, we we weren't far off telling Alan from our last commentary that if that was a first print, that this next comment is going to make you feel better because if you do that math, we're talking... Upwards of $37,000 in value if those were a 9-2, and we are assuming all of the 50 comics were a 9-2. There's going to be some gems in there. There's going to be books that you could have pressed. I call that definitely one that I would – be difficult to erase from the noggin. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, there's some regret there.
0: Some buyers' regret. Okay, and we're chatting buyers' regret. We're gonna be talking sellers' regret in a couple of weeks. So, comic fam, I want to hear your comments in the comments section about sellers' regret. Specifically, you sold it. You're upset that you did. You wish you didn't. Be very clear about it. All right, the next one on this list. This one's from Brian Nichols. He said he passed on a Marvel Premiere 15, the first appearance of Iron Fist for $20, still kicking himself for not buying it. But here's the thing. I don't think that, I mean, it's a bummer. It's a big key book. I wouldn't forget that either because that's a really good price. Could have been a really low grade copy. But Marvel Premiere 15, you were just talking about on the last show as a great book to buy in now. It's super affordable.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm assuming Iron Fist is going to make some type of comeback. Eventually. You, know, you would think, especially if you're going to bring in Luke Cage at some point. You know, they do have a, a long relationship, so it would be nice to see Iron Fist. We'll see if the universe can take a, uh, an Iron Fist and a Shang-Chi, but who the I heck I think knows? they can, man. I yeah. think they can. I believe in it. So, a good copy is about 100 bucks, give or take. But a VF Plus is around 500 so not exactly sure what the grade was, but let's just assume he's kicking himself because it was a nice copy for 20 bucks.
0: That's not too bad, man. Don't feel too bad. Don't feel... I mean, it's, it's definitely one that you're going to have trouble forgetting, but you can actually still secure one for not much more than what you missed it out for. Yeah. You know, fork up an extra 80 bucks and get yourself a presentable copy, you know? You can get one with a really nice cover. Okay. This next person, A-M-O-I-I-X. This is a very interesting collection. Miss that this gentleman had. In 20 in 2006, we're going back in time a bit here. He was eyeing a lot on eBay that he could have gotten but he passed on. The lot consisted of a CGC 5.0 Amazing Fantasy 15 and CGC lot of ASM 1 through 10, all the issues graded for graded between 6.0 and 7.0. But he would have to have sold a lot of things quick. We've been there. You're like, oh, I gotta, I gotta figure this out. I gotta get this money quick. What comics can you move? And he, he, he thought about that process, and it deterred him from doing it. This collection would sell for twenty thousand dollars. So, let's see what these prices go for now, and let's just be conservative about it because he said the spread was six zero to seven zero. So let's just pull six zero prices for these comics. Issue number 10 of Amazing Spider-Man, we have a $700 book at a
1: 6.0. Issue number nine, First Appearance of Electro. It's a key book. Awesome book. Yeah. So right now, 6O $2,500. And that sounds kind of conservative.
0: Right. We have a number eight,
1: $900. Number seven, Second Vulture. Okay. Not the most in-demand book, but a six oh is still around
0: $850. All right. Number six. 2600 We have the first appearance of The Lizard. Tough cover. That gray, you mentioned it just last podcast, makes it a tough book to secure in a high grade.
1: And? Number five. Number five. Early Doom cover, okay. 2K for
0: 6.0. Issue number four. All right, we get into the Sandman goodness. This is, where it gets, this is where it gets hot, man. I love this book. $2,900 for a 6.0. Yep. And first
1: number, appearance of Sandman. And number three. First appearance of Doc Ock, yep. major Spidey Grail, That's right. 6-0, around 6 around 6,600 bucks.
0: Then we have at number two, one of my favorite key books in this run. First appearance of The Vulture, surprisingly, like very wanted key amazing Spider Man issue. Like compared to all the rest, this one is like definitely one that is on collectors' like top lists for 6.0, going for $4,500.
1: Yeah, that too has been heating up a lot. And at number one, and it's been tough to really get a number on this because these books are moving so fast, but you can expect for a 6.0 to pay almost 30K.
0: Right. All right. But then the AF-15, 6.0. You've been telling so many of, of your friends in the dealer circle for like two years, get your AF-15 now. This is low. This is the time to get it. And then this year happened, 2021. Phew, Shot up. shot up like I've never seen before. And we have a price for a 5.0. For a
1: 5.0, which is like to even say this number is feels insane. When you
0: said it, when we were looking through GPA, you're like, is that right? Like you, you questioned it for a second. You're like, damn, really? Like you were kind of surprised.
1: Yeah, I know it's been a really strong book, but. I'm speculating that it's going to be around a $60,000 book. Oh my goodness, Comic Fam. So, do we even need to do the
0: addition for that? I mean, it could have been 20K. It's a lot of Ks. Just in one book is about 40. So, yeah, we're definitely talking about a near $100,000 miss. But you know what? At that time, these books were not going for that much. So, it was such a risk. And $20,000 for comics that we're not selling. That 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 doesn't feel comfortable, you know. These books actually had some lulls in that time frame, so you have to stick with it. Really map out the uh, trajectory of the collectible. If you have that confidence, sometimes you just gotta throw down and get it. And this is a member who's really wishing they did. All right, last comment. We're talking about some FF. We're talking about some Fantastic Four keys that were literally dead. This is actually what the uh, comic fan member has claimed this time to be because these books were not selling the way they are now just a decade ago. He says that he has a run of FF and that he had a shot at FF1 back in the day. He just had a kid. There was no way he can pull the trigger on it. And there was a 2-0 for $1,200. And this was around the time that, as quoted, the Fantastic Four run was dead. Much of my run came from that time. He got a FF48. First Silver Surfer in a 6-5 for $190. Now, this member actually goes out of his way to say that he does something fun. He writes what he bought the books for originally on the back of the board so that in the future he can always reference it and see, you know, how he did, especially if these books had an uptick. So FF1, he feels the pain. We feel the pain for you. You are actively hunting for FF1 right now. You've told me every time I've seen you, you're like, I think I'm going to pull a trigger. I think I'm going to pull a trigger. What's going on with that? And let's hit him with the uh, price of a 2.0.
1: Uh, yeah, so I haven't pulled any trigger, It's not going to happen. I just had some other thing pop up. So I think that's taken away from it. Um, but I mean, FF1 2.0, you're looking at around a $15,000 book right now. Yep. But I think that book slowed down a little bit right now think it's a little bit slow ffs a long far long time away We got
0: some time and there's gonna be people who are impatient
1: it's been hot for a long time now well maybe not a long time but it got really hot for like in huge chunks of uh, lump sum but i think it's kind of plateaued for a short bit now how long will that mean i have no idea but i don't think you need to overpay at the moment i think in the next month or two it might be okay to just take your time and find the right copy for yourself.
0: Comic fam, what do you think about buyer's regret? Do you have any experience? Well, let us know in the comment section, but not about that. We want to hear about your seller's regret. And that is something we're going to be bringing back onto the mic in a couple of weeks. Keep in mind, we do a live show every other week as well, keeping the podcast going. we got Fire Guy Ryan, who's going to be on next week, talking about comic books that we read, that we order, that we're excited to talk to you about. We have a donation from Comics with Bueller. He did his first exclusive. We have Blowtorch by Second Sight Publishing, Um, and this book is going to be a prize for one lucky winner who comments, likes, and subscribes to our podcast Do us a favor. If you're listening to us on any of the audio platforms, we're talking SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, or iTunes. Specifically, iTunes has a rating system. It goes a long way for us. Give us a positive rating. Let the other members know what you're getting here because where are you getting this comic book style content? We appreciate your time today. And as always,
1: geek responsibly, guys. Enough said.